have a confession to make. I don't really like Christmas. I'm sorry. I know I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to like Christmas and puppies and other things, and I don't like either. Um, but I, I want to tell you the reason why. And the reason I'm not really a big fan of Christmas is because there's just no room. Everything is packed. I mean, you, obviously you go to the malls and, and they're packed, but you also go to restaurants and they're, they're totally full. And the reason for that is because nobody's cooking. It's like we cooked on Thanksgiving, we're going to cook on Noche Buena, and not one day in between. So it's like, oh, those are all packed. Your schedule is packed because there's all of these things, places you've got to be because everybody's throwing a party that you've just got to go to because they want you to be there. Your closets are packed because there's gifts that you're hiding from your kids so that they don't get them and open them before Christmas. And so that's packed. And then your living room is packed because you decided to stick a six-foot tree uh, in, the, in the middle of where all your furniture is. And the reason that it's packed is because nobody buys the house thinking, like, well, this will kind of work, and then we can. this will fit perfectly with the tree. No, you just take that eight-foot Fraser fir, and you just kind of stick it in there somewhere, and you kind of work around it. Like, you know, there's like two seats on your couch that can't see the TV for a month uh, because all they see is just like a branch. So anyway, all of that just drives me crazy uh, about, about Christmas. And, and then the thing is this, if you think about it, I mean, really, should it be that way? I mean, what is it that we're celebrating? Anyway, I mean, aren't we celebrating really the most important moment in human history? This moment when heaven and earth collided and God became a man and lived among us? You see, every time that you and I write the date, when we write, you know, December 7th, 2008, we're talking and relating ourselves and referencing Christmas. We're acknowledging what happened on that very first Christmas. We're acknowledging that it's not... It's December 7th, 2008 A.D., Anno Domini in the Latin, in the year of our Lord. And, and there's something that happens at this moment, at Christmas, that separates everything that happened before it, B.C., to now everything that's happened after it, A.D. And the question is, I mean, if we can be honest, I mean, how does the most important moment in human history get crowded out and other things begin to take its place? Now, here's what happens is that most of us, not most of us, but some of us, this is what we'll do. We'll start blaming all the wrong people. We'll start blaming Santa Claus for why Jesus isn't the reason for the season. And we'll start blaming uh, the malls. And we'll start blaming the government because they say happy holidays, not Merry Christmas. And then we'll start blaming all of these other people. But can, can we really be honest if we're going to talk about why there's no room? The reason there's no room is because of us. Because we stopped making room for Christmas, and that's what I want to spend some time this morning talking about. We're, we're starting a brand new series uh, this morning that's called Trees, and what I want to do is give you a totally new look at Christmas. You see, you and I tend to look at Christmas from the Hollywood, Disney, rated G version, you know, for all the kids, but what I want to do is talk about what really happened. What I want to do is uh, and, and I apologize because I'm going to mess up a few Christmas scenes over these three weeks. I mean, I'm going to totally mess up your nativity next week, so I'm going to apologize in advance. Um, but what I want to do is maybe mess up some of the ideas that we have in our minds and replace them with some reality. Because all of us have the Hollywood picture, most of us anyway. We have this idea, like, like here's one. Silent Night. All right, that's a good song, right? Silent Night, Holy Night. The night that Jesus was born. Now... We think it was a silent night, but I don't know if you've ever been around a woman giving birth. 
Friends, it's a lot of things. And silent is not one of them. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of screaming. There's a lot of, uh, you know, wives telling their husbands, you're never touching me again. There's a whole lot of that. But let me tell you what's not happening. Silence is not one of those things that are happening. But the reason that we can't make it silent night is because if we actually said what really happened, it wouldn't really fit the song, right? Just, you know, screaming night. Screaming bloody murder night. Contractions are strong. No epidural in sight. You see, that I just don't think would go well around the Christmas tree. And so we just say, well, let's just give it a nice version. Let's just make it like a silent movie. Just everything was fine. And, but so, so what I want to do is look at the Christmas story and say, let's kind of get rid of all the stuff and all the traditions and all that. Let's talk about what really happened. Because I believe that in there, we're going to find something. We're going to find really what Christmas is all about. And it might be much different than we thought about. Uh, the, the idea we've had in our mind might be much different than, we, than what really took place. And I believe if we really drill down, we're going to find out how to make room for Christmas when the original people who were there wouldn't and didn't. So if we're going to start, let's start in the beginning. So if you have your message notes, let's, let's uh, start. Matthew chapter 1, there we go. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, here's what you have to know if you give me your attention. The Gospel of Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience. And so a Jewish audience has begun reading the Gospel of Matthew. They get through the very beginning, which is the the story of Jesus' family tree. And we're going to look at that in two weeks. Uh, If you think your family's weird, you haven't seen anything yet. Um, And so, but then what happens is then then you get to the part where this is where Jesus was born. And then it tells this story. And at this moment, every Jewish reader is freaking out. Why? Because in a Jewish world, when there was a problem surrounding your birth, when there was some bizarre circumstance, there was a word that was used to describe that child that was born. Because in a Jewish society, your family tree, your family history, your genealogy meant everything. And so if there was a problem with your birth or a bizarre circumstance surrounding your parents or who was the father and all that kind of stuff, there was a stigma that followed you your whole life and you were given this word. This word, if it was attached to you, it would be problematic as to the kind of job that you'd be able to get, the kind of career you'd be able to follow, the kind of decisions that you'd be able to make, the kind of opportunities that would be open or closed to you, all because of this one Hebrew word that's in your notes, this Hebrew word, mamzer, M-A-M-Z-E-R. And here's what the word means. It means illegitimate. Because there was a problem, there was some strange circumstance, and I think we'd all agree that this idea was not something that was normal. It's not something that had happened previously, not something that had happened since. 
And so what happens is this, is that Jesus is given this title. And, and the thing is, well, they kind of all get straightened out. No, later in Jesus' life, as, as he begins his ministry, the same issues, the same problems, the same word keeps following him. In, Matthew, or in Mark chapter 6, here's what it says. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. And the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now, if you pause there, check out why this is so important. The way that you were connected to your family tree is that you were known as what your name is and then you were the son of so-and-so. Like, it wasn't like how you and I, we have, you know, first name and last name and our last name is our family name. It was different back then. And so, like, uh, the name Simon Peter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Simon Peter, uh, his father's name was Jonah. And so he was known as Simon uh, Ben. Ben means son of. Simon ben Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah. So when they, because there was this problem surrounding Jesus' birth, when they say, isn't he just the carpenter, the son of Mary? Oh, that was just, that was such an insult in that culture to actually link them to his mom because they weren't sure who his dad was. That was just, uh, it was just such a huge insult. And that's why they scoffed and they mocked saying, this guy is a mamzer, he's illegitimate, and if that's the case, how did he get this wisdom, and how did he get the power, and how was he able to perform all of these miracles? And why do I tell you this? I tell you this because I want to teach you a part of the Christmas story that we have heard probably many times before. And we just accept it because we say, well, you know, that's just kind of how it went. But if we actually heard about what I'm going to tell you right now, if we had heard about this happening next door or down the street, you and I would be absolutely appalled at what would happen. We'd probably go and start yelling and screaming or at least have a stern conversation with someone on how could you possibly do this to someone. But first I need to teach you this, this Greek word. The Greek word is kataluma. Uh, it's on the second page of your notes. I'm going to have you turn there in a second. But here's what I'm going to do. I want to read this passage at the bottom of the first page. Uh, and this is why it's important. This word kataluma only appears three times in the New Testament. Two times referring to the event that we're going to talk about, and then the next time to a passage that we're going to look at in a moment. Now, here's what it says. Uh, In Mark chapter 14, this is uh, Jesus speaking. He says, uh, wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room, Cataluma, guest room, in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. That word Cataluma means a guest room. All right. Now, here's what happens. Now that you have an understanding of what that word means, I'm going to read to you the only other time that that word is used. And this is just going to blow wide open the Disney idea, the Hollywood idea that we have of the Christmas story. Here's where we start. Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius uh, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. 
And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Then, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her son, to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the Cataluma, the inn. Now, you see how that changes the story considerably? You see, when you and I think, well, there's, you know, the story says there's no room at the inn. We think Holiday Inn. You know, oh, see, we, they went to Bethlehem and there was no room. I mean, there was no vacancy. What are you going to do? And so they just had to go to the, to the manger because, you know, that's what all of us do. Right. When there's, we go somewhere and there's no room, we just find the nearest stable to sleep for the night. Now, understand, this is what's so this is what's so important. Joseph was from Bethlehem. Now, I will tell you this Christmas song that's got it right. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I've been to Bethlehem when I was in Israel uh, a few years ago. And I can tell you, it's not big. At the time in which Jesus was born, I mean, there was maybe, maybe 2,000 people at most living in the city of Bethlehem. And that's probably stretching it a little bit. And so what happens? Well, what we have is we have Joseph going to his hometown his hometown. If you go to your hometown, you know what I bet you have? Family living there because it's your hometown. It's not a strange town. It's your hometown. And so you go there. It's the place where you used to live. These are your old stomping grounds. And you know what happens? He goes to his hometown and then he finds out that there's no room in the guest room. Perhaps his parents' place, perhaps a brother or sister, perhaps someone who is managing the home in which he grew up in. And now he's getting ready to say, hey, I'm here, I'm here with my fiance, and I know that things are a little bit not the way that they should be, and she's pregnant, and we're not exactly married yet. And yet here's what happens, and here's what they say. I'm sorry, there's no room in the guest room for you. So you're going to have to go down the ways to the manger, which we think it's like this wooden thing. It was really, uh, it's really just more of a cave. Where, where animals were, where they went in to get shelter from the cold. You to see, well, we don't, we don't have room here in the guest room for you. Now, I want you to think about something. When my wife was pregnant with my daughter, the thing about being pregnant, I mean, ladies, you, you know this, is that you can get whatever you want at any time. And you don't even have to ask. My wife, when she was pregnant, could walk into a room and see a chair. There could be another chair that was available, but that one looked more comfortable. And she would just kind of look at the guy who was sitting in the chair. And without saying a word, just she would, oh, would you like to sit here? Oh, please, please sit here. I'll sit on a stump over there. Go, no, I want you, I want you to sit here. Oh, thank you. I could be eating something, and my wife would just look. Here you go, honey. It's all yours. I'm, I'm two bites. I'm full. Uh, you know, and, and there's just something like you just don't refuse, right? You just don't refuse a woman who's pregnant in anything. It's 11 o'clock at night. Honey, I, I'd like ice cream. I'll be right back. I mean, it's just the way it is. You just, you just don't refuse a pregnant woman. Now, imagine this. This pregnant woman has just come from the area of Nazareth, which is in, in the northern area of Israel, has just gone anywhere from 90 to 100 miles. That's not far. Oh, yeah, you try riding on a camel, 90 to 100 miles, nine months pregnant. You show up at your, at your in-law's house, and here's what they say. I'm sorry, there's no room. 
And why is that? Because the child that you're carrying is illegitimate. And if that child is born in this house, we're all going to carry the stigma. And what we'd rather do is have you give birth out there. Now, you have to understand that in the East, hospitality is the highest virtue. I, I have, some of our, uh, my wife and I's best friends, a couple of our best friends, live in the Middle East. And the country in, in which they live in the Middle East, it's not like, you, not like here, you walk out and there's like 20 stores. But if you're walking somewhere, all you see are just residences, people, places where people live. And so if you've, I mean, forgive me, but if you've got to go, like, to the bathroom, you say, well, where am I going to go? You know, now I've got to go, well, I'll stop at the store, I'll stop at the supermarket before I get home, whatever, if I'm far from, from the house. There's na- there is nothing like that there. And so here's what happens. You have to go to the bathroom. Here's what you do. You walk up to any door, any door. You don't have to actually know the person. You just walk up and you knock on the door and then they op- someone's there and they open and you say, hi, I-, I need to use the restroom. And they consider it such a great honor that you would knock on their door because somehow you, they be- that you would know that they would be hospitable to you. I don't know if you think about that next time someone goes at your house and you say, wow, thank you for honoring me. Uh, maybe that'll work. Uh, make at least make you feel better. Um, so what happens is you go in, and so they open. I mean, think about that. Like, how crazy is that? Somebody knocks on the door at your house. Hey, can I use your bathroom? Like, get out of here. You know, go by the side of my neighbor's house. Um, uh, not mine. And uh, anyway, so here's what happens. So, like, this is what happens with friends of ours. They have to go. They knock on the door, and then someone opens the door to them. They invite them in. They go and take care of their business. And by the time they come out. The person who, whose home it is has already made them tea, has already made them snacks, has already made them something to eat. He says, oh, please, why don't you sit? Have something to eat. Have something to drink. Heck, you stay long enough, you'll probably have to use the bathroom again before you go. And so they have all this going on, right? And, the, and Because hospitality is the highest virtue. The thought of turning someone away who had to use the restroom is unthinkable in an Eastern culture. So I want you to think about what, what this family is saying to Joseph and Mary when their family member shows up and says, I know that you're nine months pregnant. I know that you're about to give birth any day now, but you're not giving birth here. It was this shunning. It was we're not going to do this. We're, I'm not going to have that stigma tied to me and tied to my kids and tied to this family. You've done this and you're going to do this alone. So why don't you go out, hang out with the animals while you give birth because you're not going to do it in here. It kind of changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? It makes the nativity not quite such a precious moment. It kind of makes you think that there's so much rejection, there's so much misunderstanding, there's so many things that we don't even maybe realize. And isn't it incredible to even think that the Savior of the world was being born and the people that lived at the house who had the guest room said, I'm sorry, there's no room for you. Yet somehow we do the same thing. Somehow we take the room in our lives and, we, and we, somehow God gets pushed out. Sometimes God gets pushed to the side. Sometimes God gets sent down the street to the stable where the animals are because we haven't given him the room. 
And see, here's what I think happens a lot of times with, with, with us as Christians, is that we think of that and we're like, yeah, the media, yeah, the schools, yeah, Santa Claus, yeah, the gifts, yeah, the malls, yeah, the commercialism. And I want to tell you something, that I really don't believe that that's the problem. Oh, there's something that's such, so much more fundamental than that. And if we were to actually drill down a little deeper, you know what we'd find as to what kind of keeps God out and why we don't really make room for Christmas? You see... The problem has much more to do with pride. It has a lot more to do with lust. It has a lot more to do with greed. It has a lot more to do with bitterness, anger, hate, resentment than it does any of these other externals. Because the internals are the things that really keep Jesus out, are the things that keep God out, are the things that try to shove God aside. What do I mean? Uh, let me talk to you for a minute. In the time that we, that we have uh, the, the few minutes that we have, I want to talk to you about three ways that we can make room for Christmas. And once again, this has nothing to do with moving furniture around. This has everything to do with an attitude and a disposition in our heart and lives. See, here's the first one. If you're taking notes, uh, we make room by reconciling with others. We make room by reconciling with others. What, what is reconciliation? Here, here, let me give you just a simple explanation of what reconciliation is. Uh, all of us get state, a monthly statement from the bank, right? And here's what uh, it always happens. Like, you have one number, and the bank has this other number, right? And isn't it funny how your number and the bank's number aren't ever the same? Somehow they've figured out that it's, like, much less as, as you know, the, the statement comes in the mail. And you know what happens? Hopefully you don't just shove it in a drawer and say, well, I guess somebody's got to be right. I'm probably him. But here's what you do if you're wise. You take those two numbers, and you try to reconcile the two. And that's what reconciliation really is, is that you're causing these two different parties to now agree. And you know that you're reconciled when this number and this number are now in agreement. And that's what reconciliation is. It's taking two people that are at odds and then causing them to now be at peace because the thing that was causing the strife and the tension has now been resolved. You see, Jesus came into the world. Christmas is all about reconciliation. It's about us being reconciled and having peace with God. It's about us being reconciled and having peace with other people. And it's us even being reconciled and having peace with ourselves. Because Christmas is about reconciliation. In fact, when, uh, describing what would happen at Christmas, the prophet Isaiah would say this. He would say, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You see, making room for Christmas, my friends, is about making room for reconciliation. You see, one of the reasons why we experience so much tension, so much stress during the, 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 the holidays and over Christmas and Thanksgiving and all this, and here, here's, here's what it is. It's because we come face to face with people in which we are not reconciled with. You see, everybody in their family has either people that they're at odds with or there are people in their family that are at odds with each other. And then there's people that say, well, I'm not going to Christmas this year. Well, why not? Well, because they're going to be there. And if they're going to be there, then I'm not going. Well, what do you have there? You have a lack of peace. You have strife and you have uh, discord. And so what happens is, is that it's only, listen, to make room for Christmas is to make room for reconciliation. Where we now start making decisions that say, well, how can we begin to live at peace with people? That's why the Bible says that, uh, you know, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. If it's within your power to do so, then do it. 
And the way that we reconcile with someone is by opening the door of acceptance. Now, notice I didn't say approval, because there's a difference between acceptance and approval. There's an opportunity that we have that even if we disagree with someone's choices, we disagree with their lifestyle, we disagree with their decisions, we can still disagree and we don't have to necessarily approve of the choices that they've made, but we can accept them as someone that we love. And that, my friends, is the difference. And sometimes we think that to accept someone and tell them that we do care about them and invite them in is to say, well, I approve of what's happened. No, in fact, it's just the opposite. We could say, I disapprove greatly of what you've done, but here's what I want you to know, is that I love you and care about you. And if you ever do want to make a switch or make a change, I want you to know that I'm here for you and I want to help. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be like best friends with the person. You've got to spend every day with them. But listen, it doesn't mean you have to like trust them implicitly. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that you're willing to open the door to forgiveness because you recognize that Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive you and I. And I can promise you that we have done much more to him in sinning against him than anyone has done sinning against us. You see, what happens is, is that when we really look at the, at the Christmas story, it's, it's not all fun and games. It's not like this simple, happy song, and hey, there was no room, and wow, that's interesting. And then they just kind of gave birth in the stable, and no, it, it, it's like it's not all fun and games. It's a little messier because you and I know that Christmas isn't all fun and games. Sometimes it is a little messy because the real Christmas story is a story of misunderstanding. It's a story of rejection. But see, those who have the wisdom and the insight and the love and the compassion, those of us who are able to now say, you know what, I'm going to open the door to the end. I'm going to make room for this person that maybe I've been in odds with and reconcile with them. Listen, we experience a Christmas of another kind. I believe a better kind of Christmas. You see, it's what Christmas means when Jesus Christ comes into your life. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he has this ability to give you the desire, to give you the means, and to give you even... The ability to reconcile with another person. The Apostle Paul would write, say it this way. He says, all of this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. The second way that we make room for Christmas is we make room by celebrating with others. Not just by reconciling with others, but also by celebrating with others and celebrating the right things for the right reasons. Um, this past February, I had this big Super Bowl party at my house and invited a bunch of my friends over. I grew up in Boston, so I am, I'm a huge Patriots fan. Um, and so, I mean, I kind of, I was, I went all out. I mean, I bought like 200 chicken wings, uh, you know, for all my friends. I mean, we bought, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff, you know, the cake, the soda, the, uh, I mean, I was like swimming in blue cheese practically, you know, the chips, burgers, dog. I mean, the whole thing. I had Patriots balloons outside of my house. I had my Patriots cap on that I've had forever. My daughter was dressed up in all her football gear. I mean, we had, I, I bought a Patriots ball that every time you caught it, it said, let's go Patriots. I was excited. They were 18 and 0 and we were going for it. And so, and now imagine with me. That we got all this stuff going, and then just before the game starts, I say, all right, guys, I'm so glad you're here. I know we were going to watch the game, but instead, 
I just saw this movie that I, I think is just great for us to watch. So I'm just going to go ahead and turn on the DVD player and, and put on. And be like, no, no, no. What are you saying? We're here to watch the game. Look at the balloons outside of your house. Look in the mirror and on what's on your head. You know, I mean, your daughter's dressed in, like, you know, she looks like Tom Brady with all the stuff on. You know what I mean? And it's like, what are you doing? And, and, and what You would think I was insane. Why? Because I was celebrating the wrong thing. And I was missing the whole reason for the celebration. And listen, this is what happens. This is exactly what happens when we don't make room and somehow Jesus gets left out. How, how it works is this, is that when Jesus was born, the angels appeared to these shepherds. And they announced it. And here, here's what they said. They said this. They said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You see, we have so much to celebrate at Christmas. We have the opportunity to celebrate the fact that God loves us so much that he was willing to send his son into the world. We also have the opportunity to celebrate the fact that God is with us. I mean, think about that, that God is never going to leave us or forsake us. Here's how the Bible would put it. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, one of the problems that we experience at Christmas is this very fact that sometimes we look across the table and someone who used to be there isn't there. See, maybe someone died this year. And you're looking and you're thinking about Christmas and saying, I don't really know how we're going to do this without this person. Maybe someone in your family got divorced and now what's happened is, is that part of the family's coming, but now another part isn't coming. And now it's like you're getting ready to have, you know, your, 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 your big dinner and the whole family's together. And you think the whole family's supposed to be together, but now because something happened, not everybody's there and somebody's missing. And here's the, the promise that we have. Even though some people will go and some people won't be there and some people will miss and some people will think that something else has taken priority. Here's what we know. Christmas teaches us that God is with us. You see, I think one of the biggest cures for the epidemic that we have in our society of loneliness is this very fact that God is with us. And when we understand that reality, we don't have to feel alone in the world. So the question that we have to ask and that maybe the question to answer is, how do we celebrate the real reason for Christmas. I, I want to give you three real quick ways uh, that we can do it that I think t- takes our, our mind off of all the other stuff and really refocuses us. Here, here's the first if you're taking note. You can celebrate by praying before you open your gifts. I mean, this is just such a simple thing, and it's become a tradition in our home. And that, you know, when the kid, you know, everybody gets up and we're about to open our gifts, here's what we do before we open anything, before we do anything. We stop and we pray. And we thank God for the fact that he's been able to provide for us to be able to buy these gifts. That God gave us the ultimate gift of sending his son into the world so that we could actually have a relationship with him. And that because God gave his son for us, to even model that, we've given gifts to each other. 
Listen, you say, well, that, that just seems like a real simple thing. Yeah, it's, it is a real simple thing, but it, it, what it can do is that it can, ca- it can cause a shift to take place between kids thinking it's really about all the stuff that I get and I've got to have the Wii and I, I, if I don't have the Wii, I don't know what I'm going to do because I want to play it and then the kids playing it all the time get us into kids to Wii have and, you know, you got all that going on, right? And, and now it, it kind of begins, to say, this shift begins to take place and it's like maybe it's not just about the stuff that I get but maybe there's something deeper that's happening here that I'm really modeling the one who's the ultimate giver. You see, I think that's so important. The second is this, that we can celebrate by giving a gift to those in need. Now listen, all of us have done this. We make our list as to who we're going to buy stuff for, and then there's like, there's like the people that we know we're going to get something for, and then there's this other list. There's the list of, are we going to get something for that person? And then this is the question that we ask. Are they getting something for us? Now you may say it in different terms. But that's really what it comes down to. Are they getting something for us? And then, well, I think so. Okay, then let me ask this question. How much do you think they're going to spend on us? Because the last thing I want to do is buy a $40 gift for them when I found out that they spent $16.99 on me. Then I think, you know, just, that just doesn't seem like it's fair in the world, and I would, that would, I would feel bad. And so we, so we kind of have this whole thing going on. And here's what happens, is that we, 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 we tend to give gifts based on um, you know, I, I'm going to give this because I think you're going to give something to me. And the last thing I want is for you to give something to me and me not give something to you. And then I just feel like a real loser. Uh, but, but it would be bad if I gave something to you and then you didn't give something to me. And then it's like, well, maybe I, you, I think that we're better friends than you think we are. And so, and that's why, so that's why you kind of like talk to your friends. You're like, hey, about Christmas, uh, you know, so what are we doing? That's kind of like, you know, you have that, that's kind of like, the, so what are we doing for Christmas? And, and, and then it's like, well, we ju- let's just get gifts for the kids. And then you have like a couple of, like, you know, you have like a couple gifts that are in the bullpen just in case, you know, somebody shows up. Hey, I got you a gift on a whim. No kidding. So did I. I wore a triple X. Well, it's a medium. We'll see if it fits. You know, I, it was a little off. Anyway, but so you have all of that. But here's the thing that I think is important. What would happen if we actually, and once again, this is really about how we really celebrate Christmas. What would happen if what we did instead was this? I'm going to get all these gifts for these people. We figured all that out. But then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a gift. I'm going to give something to someone who I know is never going to be able to give a gift to me. Someone, I'm going to give something to someone that I know that they'll never even be able to repay me for what it is that I'm giving to them. You see, now we start really getting into what the spirit of Christmas is all about. That it's about God sending his son into the world knowing that the gift of salvation that he would give to us is something that we would never be able to repay to him. And listen, if I can just encourage you in anything that you would just say, you know what, if I'm spending all of this money on all the people that I love, that's wonderful. But maybe you can take a portion and say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give to someone who would never be able to give to me in return. And listen, you can do that in, in, in a variety of ways. You can find a, a, a family that's really going through a hard time and say, hey, you know what, I picked up a couple of gifts for you to be able to give to your kids uh, that you can say are from you. You could do that by finding a, a charity to support that's doing great work. You can do that. You can do that through the 1-8 offering that we're doing. You can do that in a myriad of ways. My encouragement to you, though, is that you say, well, no, it's just, I'm just going to get stuff for the people that I care about because, you know, I want to I feel good about what I'm giving to them and I want them to know. So really what it comes down to is it's really about me. No, instead, what if we took a step back and said, here's what I want to do. I want to do all that for my family because I love them, but I also want to do something that's really between me and God. 
And now I think we start moving into what celebrating and understanding Christmas is all about. Here's a third one. That we celebrate by coming to church to worship. Isn't it an interesting thing that we're, so, we're thankful for what God has done for us? And yet here's what happens at Christmas. What happens at Christmas is, is we just can't quite make it to church to worship the one and why everybody, everyone in the world's going crazy about, uh, about because the fact that he was born and now we're all buying gifts and, and, and now something has gotten crowded out. You see, I think what would happen is, I, I know it's a funny thing, but I think that if we all looked at our calendar, we had someone look at our calendar and we'd say, tell me what you think is important, what you think is important to me, and we just, scheduled, we just wrote out everything that we did. I think it would paint a picture. It would paint a picture for us for then us to be able to say, well, what about, how does this, does this really mean stuff to us? And this is the thing I think is so important. I think it's so important for us. And here's the thing that happens, and I, I talk to lots of pastors, and I teach lots of pastors, and, and here's what I, I, I hear over and over, is that, you know, churches reach a lot of people all throughout the year, but then there's something that happens in December, that attend, you know, attendance in December, and people coming out to church, and, and, and you know, really giving their all for God, all of that kind of like flat lines for December or sometimes even goes down in December. And I think, isn't that interesting that the only reason that we are Christians is because God sent his son into the world and yet things got, got so busy at Christmas that the one we end up forgetting is the reason that we should be celebrating in the first place. And I think that that's why it's so important. It's like we can't really celebrate Christmas. I mean, we're throwing a Super Bowl party and showing a movie if we're missing out on the very reason in which the, the holiday exists. So that's why I want to challenge you to say, you know what? This series is three weeks, and we're going to be talking about what Christmas is all about. And, and, and here's what I would encourage you to do. So you say, I'm going to be here. And you say, that's not really that hard because this series is three weeks, and you've, you're already here for the first one. So you're 33% there. You know, and say, I'm going to be here on the 14th, and I'm going to be here on the 21st, and I'm going to start taking steps in that direction so that I don't miss out on what God is doing during this time. The Apostle Paul would say it this way, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's how we celebrate. Then number three, we make room by responding to God. You see, the reason for Christmas is that you and I need a Savior. We needed saving from our sins. We needed saving from ourselves. Because let's be honest, I know a lot of times we blame God or we blame other people for what happened. But if we were really honest, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, we kind of bring some stuff upon ourselves. And here's what God does. He says, you need a Savior. You see, God didn't ask us what we wanted for Christmas. God sent us what we needed for Christmas, which was a Savior. And I don't know about you, but when I think about all the dumb stuff that I've done in my life, and as I think through all of that, I realize, you know what? I really do need a Savior. You see, we need a Savior because here's the thing. None, none of us can actually earn heaven. None of us can actually be good enough to earn heaven because the bar that God has set as the entrance fee is perfection. And none of us is, is perfect. And so what God did is say, instead of just saying, well, you're not perfect, so you're not going to make it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you what you need, a Savior who can stand in your place, who I can send into the world as the perfect gift, who will live the perfect life, will die a substitutionary death, and then will have a triumphant resurrection to be able to offer us forgiveness, a relationship with God, and an opportunity to live with Him eternally. 
but then an opportunity to experience what real life is right now. Because that's what's so amazing is that the Bible, when it talks about eternal life, it doesn't talk about eternal life meaning like, hey, sometime after you take your last breath on planet Earth, that's when eternal life starts. No, when you become a Christian and you give your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive you, eternal life starts right now. What the Bible calls real and lasting life, that starts right now as we walk with God, as we know God, and as we follow him. And so, listen, if you want to make room for Jesus this Christmas, this is, the, this is how. It's by asking Jesus Christ to become your Savior. It's not simply saying, well, yeah, I believe in God. Listen, that's not enough. It's asking Jesus to say, I, I, I've, I, I believe that you exist, but now I'm asking you to save me from all the stuff I've done wrong, from all my sins, from all my mistakes, from, from all of that. I'm asking your forgiveness because I want to spend eternity with you and I don't want to live another minute without you. You see, he gives forgiveness free because that's what Christmas is all about. It's about God sending his son into the world and being the ultimate gift for us. So when we see the tree we've made space for in our home, here's the question. The question is, have I really made room for Jesus? Have I made room for him this Christmas? And reconciling and celebrating. And then maybe if you're here and you haven't made a decision to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to forgive you, then maybe that's the place that you start. And here's the thing. It's a prayer that's as simple as this. If you just say, God, I'm opening my heart and inviting you in. I'm asking you to forgive me of everything I've done wrong. And I'm thanking you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. A prayer as simple as that, prayed in sincerity, here's what I know according to God, is that God will answer that prayer and begin to work in your life. Starting right now, if you make the decision. So let's pray together. And God, we do want to thank you for your love. We want to thank you for sending your son so that we could experience the reality of Christmas. And so, God, I just pray and ask that for those that want to make that decision, God, I pray that you would confirm it in their hearts and they would start walking with you from this very moment. So, Lord, I pray that you'd answer those prayers now. And I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of the reason why we're here the reason for this season of making room for you, of knowing you, of walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen.